All right, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans is in the New Testament, right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then comes the Acts of the Apostles, we call Acts. And you get to Romans chapter 5. I'll give you a second to turn there. We're going to read a few verses from that chapter. And this week we're going to close out our sermon series, More Than a Story. Next week we'll begin our Summer in the Psalms that we do every year, other year here at Eastside. So Summer in the Psalms begins next week today. Romans chapter 5, and you can read along with me. Uh, starting at verse 6, I'm going to read through verse 11. This is what the Apostle Paul had to say to the people of Rome. He said, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'll read that one more time. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. Ready? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is such a precious scripture. What a beautiful telling of the story of Jesus Christ and of the ramifications of what Jesus has done for us. I'll tell you, more than any other sermon I can remember since I've begun preaching at Eastside, I was struggling to prepare for this one. Because in my head, I kept thinking, I've got to find something really powerful, really poignant, really novel, really new, as this week we talk about Christ and the cross as more than just a story. And the reason I struggled is because, at least in America, I would assume for most of us, you've heard the story of Jesus Christ on the cross, whether this is your first time to church ever or not. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about the cross. And I was trying to think of how can I help you just understand, how can I help you comprehend the weightiness of that for which has become so familiar to you that it's become almost kind of uh, innocuous, almost powerless, almost just flippant, almost just, yeah, 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 I already know that. And I get it, man. This is such an important story that we've told it over and over and over again. Every week you come to Eastside, we mention Jesus and the cross and the gospel of Jesus. So how am I going to preach a sermon on the gospel and not have it just be another time that you hear it mentioned? And I really struggled in my preparation. There are some stories for which we as individuals or as a church like never get tired of. 
Uh, last night, I was at uh, my house uh, with my kids and my wife, and Andrew Ajay was over there last night with us for dinner. Andrew, thanks for coming. It was great to have you. And we were hanging out afterwards, and Andrew started asking my wife Chelsea some questions, which was great. Andrew and I have had a ton of chances to get to know each other. He's trying to get to know my wife, and he started asking questions about how we met and how she met the Lord. And as she's starting to tell the story again of how we met, no part of me was like, oh, not this story again, you know? No part of me went like, oh, I'll go, you know, I'll go step out and start to do the dishes real quick from dinner if we're going to talk about this. No, I, I never get tired of getting to tell the story of how I met Chelsea Lane Brown and how she became Chelsea Lane Griffin. And I never get tired of hearing her tell the story. And every once in a while, there's a little newness to it. Every once in a while, there's a new detail that we haven't told in a long time that sneaks in. Or maybe there's something quirky that we realize I'm still holding on to from our dating life or she still uh, hasn't told me maybe something that she thought about me back then. And so there's uh, every once in a while a little newness. But for the most part, I've heard this story more times than I can count and gotten to tell it more times than I can count. And that story I never get tired of because it's my story. I never get tired of somebody new getting to hear how I fell in love with my wife, how she fell in love with me and why we're still together and the difference it has made in our life and then how God has given us our three boys. I'll never get tired of it, never. I mean, every year on our anniversary, we say we've been married this long and the truth is it's not long enough. We just wanna keep being married to one another. And our love story never wears me out. And when we talk about the story of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, I want it to be clear to you that this is a story that while maybe it's become so familiar to you that you kind of yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada in the way you think about it, let me help you understand this is a love story that you're a part of. This is a story about how much God loves you. And I want us as a church to never get so tired of or so, let me say, presumptive that we just assume the gospel. Well, I assume you've heard about Jesus and I assume you've heard about the cross and I assume you heard he rose from the dead and I assume you know what that means for your life. So let's talk about something else. This is the bedrock of everything we believe and while for you, it may not be the first time you hear it, maybe, maybe if you're coming to church going, I just want to hear something new about it. Man, maybe we need to check our spirits and go, maybe I'm just too sick of something that I should never get sick of. Maybe for you, even saying the name of Jesus sometimes is tough for you because it seems like, oh, that's a, that's a churchy word. I don't know if I want to say the name of Jesus. In a, maybe it's in a conversation with somebody who doesn't know him or doesn't know the story or believe the story like you do. You feel like I need to be kind of trepidatious about how I talk about this. Listen to me. I would never treat my marriage like that. There's no room in which I'm ashamed to admit that I'm married or who I'm married to or what our story is. There are some rooms I want to make sure people know that woman's my wife. And there are some rooms that I want to make sure that I can share. Listen, what the Lord has done for me, it's been great. I never grow sick of that. So why is it for some of us that we talk about the gospel, there's a, the, 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 the Bible and the, Paul in particular, the book of Romans says, for some of us, you, you've been ashamed of it, embarrassed of it. Or maybe it's become so familiar that you hesitate to share it because you assume people already know. And so this morning, before I talk about why Jesus died for you, 
I don't want to presume upon us that you know that he did. And so I want to summarize a little bit of the entire Bible for you, and then we'll come back to Romans chapter 5. But the reason I have to summarize the entire Bible is that if all you've heard is that a man died on a cross and then three days later he rose again, then you don't understand the context. The context truly is not that God created a broken world, but that he created a perfect world, a world with no sin and no brokenness. And he put mankind in it and gave them the gift of marriage and community and occupation, work, and gave them freedom to enjoy everything he created with a small limitation. And that mankind chose that small limitation to commit what you and I have committed ad nauseum since, treason. That while you're the king, I want to do things my way, God. That while you're in charge, I'd rather be. That I think I'd do better than you. And so humanity from that point on walks in this brokenness and blindness and darkness in a problem so big they couldn't solve it themselves. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, maybe medically or mentally, or uh, maybe it's a problem that you're facing at work or at home, but it feels so big that you realize there's no way I can solve this. I need to go see a counselor or a doctor or a therapist, or I need to go talk to my pastor or my friend or my spouse or my roommate about this problem. I can't do it by myself. And you take that and multiply it by infinity and say, how will we solve the problem of humanity? And people in this world, even today, will say, well, people are basically good. But if you look at the evidence of our history and our current reality, you'll see this world is basically broken. And it's crying out for a change and renewal and difference and betterment. And we can't help but treat each other like garbage. Think about how trivial it is that even in this modern time where we have come so far, people still make assumptions about people based on how dark their skin is. People make assumptions about people based on what language they speak, what country they come from. And here we are, this modern humanity who thinks we've solved so much. This world is broken and I can't fix it. You can't fix it. And then all of us, everyone who has ever lived, eventually died. You and me will one day eventually die unless Christ comes back before then. And who can solve that? Has anybody in history been able to stop death from coming for anyone? We may prolong life. We may eat all the kale and get on the Peloton for miles and we may join all the clubs and guess what? Eventually, we all still pass away. Some of us in shorter lifespans than others, but all of us will one day die. And who gets to solve that? What happens to us after or what happens to our soul? Do you have a solution? Like, could we trust you with the world's problem of sin and death? What about the problem that's created? Like sin has separated us from the holy God who created us. Can you bridge that gap by being good enough? Is there anything you do to impress the holy God and go, hey, what if I'm just uh, attractive enough or talented enough or I get promoted enough or I just treat people well enough? Will that solve the problems of the world? 
There was no solution. You read the Old Testament and it's a story after story about shadow and shadow and shadow of what we need, but always insufficient. We love this story. This story is so familiar to us that it's in every story we tell that there's a need that needs to be met. If only we had a hero that could could do it. It's every love story, every movie, every Hallmark movie you've watched is here's a desperate need for love. If only somebody could satisfy it. Every hero movie you've watched, oh, there's a desperate need for rescue. If only we could find someone to solve it, to rescue us. There's a mission, a quest that has to be accomplished. If only somebody would come along and take care of it for us. And while the gospel has become so familiar, it's part of every story you're told. Somebody needs to do something about it. And any one person is insufficient. And so God did something incredibly special. He incarnated among us, became man. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, Mary was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life. In many ways anonymous for years, for decades, living in Nazareth. And then he began his ministry. He started going about telling people he was the Messiah, telling them the kingdom of God was at hand, telling them to repent and to change and declaring to them that people were going to hate him and that he was going to be killed by mankind. From the beginning, the cross was his mission. It wasn't what canceled what he was trying to do. It was the culmination of what he was trying to do. Because His death provided for us something significant, many things significant. Without the cross, there is no salvation for us. Because the wages of sin, what we have all earned as humankind is death. There's nothing we can do to solve it. Somebody else had to take upon themselves our problems so that we might get to live as if we were the solution. And so Christ comes and and he dies on this cross. What happens is he's betrayed by one of his best friends into the hands of the local religious authorities who take him to the local governing authorities, the Romans. And between the chief priests of the Jews and the Romans, the local authorities, they determine that between the two of them, although he is innocent in every way that they can prove, he still needs to die. And so they put him on a cross, which is a Roman torture device. I mean, it's a public execution and not an easy one. They put him displayed on public, in public, before all the people in and around Jerusalem. They nail him to a cross, nails through his hands and his feet, and he hangs there until he's dead. They pierce his side to prove that he is dead, to prove to themselves that it's okay to take him down off the cross. They take him down limp and dead and bury him in a tomb. And three days later, this is what's astounding, he comes back to life. The heart that had stopped beating three days before starts beating again. And the lungs that had stopped breathing three days before start breathing again. And the limbs and the muscles that had stopped operating three days before, start moving again, and he comes back to life. For the last few weeks, we've talked through these famous stories in the Bible, stories that to many of you, maybe growing up, you heard them and you thought of them as like fables or fairy tales, that a fish swallowed a man and he lived inside that fish for several days, or that Eve talked with a snake, or that Daniel was protected from lions overnight, or a flood covered the whole world. And you've thought, oh, these are all fairy tales. 
Somebody actually said to me recently, several people have said to me recently, do you really believe those things happened? Do you really believe that's possible? To me, if I believe that a man was dead, dead, and three days later came back to life, how hard is it to believe anything else God said he did? Is it so hard to believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could walk into fire and out again if Christ has power over life? Is it so hard to believe that a man could survive inside a fish for three days if a man can be dead in a tomb for three days and then come walking out again? Or that that same man could yell out to one of his friends who'd been dead for days, come out of the tomb, and that man who'd been dead could get up and walk out in Lazarus? If you believe the first verse of the Bible, that in the beginning there was a God that created everything, that nothing that exists is by accident, that everything was created from nothing, then there's nothing my God cannot do. And these stories are not fairy tales. Christ talks about these people as real people, Adam and Eve, Jonah, Daniel. These aren't Bible characters. These are all stories telling one story. One of my favorite things about Christ's story is that it makes all the other stories make sense. That all the prophecies fulfilled in Christ, all the little shadows of stories fulfilled in Christ. That Adam and Eve, when they sin, and they now have they have brought death into the world and brought death upon themselves. Their shame is covered, not by sewing fig leaves together, although that's what they attempted, but God covers their sin in the skin of an animal and covers their sin and shame with death. And right away, we see that the covering of sin requires death. We see Eve's creation. Think about this. When Eve was created, she's created from Adam's rib. God takes a rib from Adam and he creates for him his wife. And why would he do that? Why take a rib? Is it not a shadow that Adam's side is pierced to make for him a perfect bride? And that now we look at Jesus Christ on the cross and see his side pierced so that the bride of Christ might be made perfect? that his story has always been the story, that Noah on the ark, we see Noah, the whole world is flooded because of its destructiveness and only one man gets preserved and God promises I'll never do that again. But what does he do? He, next time he sacrifices one so that many may live. That although the world is broken again, instead of flooding and starting over, he gives his son, the one dies and the many live. Instead of Noah, where the one gets to live and the many die. That Abraham brings his son Isaac because God required it of him to go and sacrifice him on the mountain. Isaac, who has no idea what's going on, who has to be bound in order to be sacrificed. This is a story we talked about several weeks ago. And he's bound and he's put on the wood and he's gonna be sacrificed and instead a ram is provided in his place. That the son gets to go free, the son who's beloved by his father and that the lamb provided by God gets sacrificed and said, is this not the story of Jesus Christ for you? That you get to walk free because he gave his life? And unlike Isaac, who had no idea what's going on, Christ does it willingly, that God does it joyfully, that David fights Goliath 
fights the giant, that we see a story of a good shepherd and his shepherding is what qualifies him in order to lead and in order to destroy what comes after God's people. And what is the story of Jesus Christ but the story of the good shepherd who's willing to face what difficulties you have in your life and conquer them that you might go free. And Daniel, the story of a man who's sealed in a den where everybody comes back the next day expecting to find him dead. And instead, when they roll away the sealed den, they find him alive. Is this not the story of Jesus Christ whom people sealed in a tomb and came back and expected to just be spicing his body and instead found that he was gone because the Lord had preserved him and raised him? In the story of Jonah last week, Christ says that the story of Jonah is similar to his own story. He says this generation will see the sign of Jonah in his life, that Jonah was three days inside the fish, Christ would be three days inside the earth. And where you would never expect someone who got swallowed by a fish to three days later come walking out on the shore, nor would you expect Jesus Christ to come walking out of his own tomb three days later that the stories over and over and over again in the Bible are telling you the gospel story, that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would die so that you would get to live. And the story that's become so familiar to you, there's a shadow of it in basically every story we tell. It's a beautiful love story. It's a beautiful hero story. It's a story of sacrifice and it's our story. It's not some far away or long ago story. It's something that, yes, happened in real time in history, but it's your story today as much as it was. And Christianity may start as news, and it's truly news. More than it is like a a theology course, Christianity is news that something significant happened, but it's not just an event in history 2,000 years ago. It's what it has to do with your life today. That's the gospel. That's what it means is good news. It's good news for you today. See, what we read in Romans 5 is that it's not just something that happened. It has an effect on you. In Romans 5, chapter chapter 5, verse 6, it says we were what? It says we were weak. We were sinners. We were enemies. These are the descriptions of our past outside of Christ. Weak. We already talked about that. You're what are you going to do? You're going to overcome death? I don't care how strong you are. You can't outpace the fact that your life has a span and it will one day end. We were sinners. Are you able to stop sin? Can you prevent yourself from making any more mistakes, from hurting anybody else, or from keeping yourself from being hurt by others? Can you stop that? It says we were enemies with God. Can you overcome the separation between you and the holy God? Can you give enough to convince him or can you do enough to earn it? Can you overcome how sin has separated you? You cannot. We were weak. We were sinners. We were enemies. But verse 8 says, God shows his love for us. God shows his love for us in this. He doesn't just say his love for us. It's not just words he gives us. God doesn't just write you a love letter and say, trust me, He does something. There's deeds involved. He shows his love for you that even while you were still a sinner, while you were still weak, while you're still an enemy, Christ died for you. Someone died for you. They gave their life for you. That's the Memorial Day message we talked about earlier. 
What does it say we have now? In chapter five, verse nine, it says we have now been justified. Now we're justified. Now we're what? In verse 11, it says, now we've received reconciliation. What was broken, what was separated, what was not good, what was weak has now been reconciled. Where you have not had a relationship with God because it was not possible, now it has been bridged by Christ. And what a friend is Jesus to sinners. When you see Jesus Christ, you read his gospels and you hear what his stories are, it's always astounding, not just his miracles, his grace, his mercy. Yeah, he didn't just do magic tricks. He loved people that nobody else loved. He didn't just heal people and say disease is the only problem with the world. He looked into human hearts and called people into loving relationship with him. That's your God. Yesterday, I was sitting in my office up at the east side office, um, White Rock Tower down the street, and I was praying and I was thinking through this message and thinking about what I might say or communicate today about how could I really help you understand how much Jesus loves you? And I was thinking, you know, there's this kind of, I think, really easy and powerful way of praying where typically maybe when you're praying, you close your eyes, you bow your heads and you just start talking and maybe God feels very far away. But I think a very powerful way is to, for me at least, imagine that if he was physically sitting in the room and I was talking with him, how would I talk with him? Like with a friend, how would I talk with him? Brad Germany, one of my dear friends, we're at home group. If I started talking to Brad at home group the way I talked to God, it would seem so impersonal. Most of the time, I'd be like, Brad, how, let thine be upon my, no, I don't do those, but it would be strange. But if I thought about, hey, if I want to talk with a friend, how would I talk with him? I'd probably go to Cindy's if we're going to breakfast and we're going to sit in a booth, not a table. Booths are way better. We're going to sit in a booth and we're going to sit across the table from each other in a booth and I'm going to ask, how is this going in your life or what do you want here? And then if I get to share about me, what am I going to say is what do you think about this that's going in my life? Or maybe I'll ask for counsel. What, what should I do about this? And if I'm sitting down with Christ and imagining and talking to him as if he is truly my friend who truly loves me, what does it look like to talk with Jesus? And yesterday I'm sitting in my office and, and I was, uh, had music on and I, was, I had my Bible out and I had my notes out and I'm thinking about this sermon and my wife and our home group had bought some tickets to a concert that's coming up for a band called uh, Maverick City Music. And so we're going there, but I've never really listened to music. I'm not very cool. So I don't know many songs by anybody. So I had talked to Alexa and just said, Alexa, will you play some Maverick City music? And she starts just playing the music. So it's on in the background, don't know it. And I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm kind of imagining and picturing Christ is sitting here. And I just start talking and I'm saying, you know, Christ, this, these are the things in my life that I'm really excited about. How, help me see, how do you feel about these things? Are these things that is right and good for me to be excited about? Are these things I should be pursuing? And then I'm looking at some things in my family and around my kids and I'm going, God, here are some of my concerns. Christ, here's the things when I look at my kids, here's some of my concerns. Can you help me? How do you think about these things and what can I do? And as I'm sitting there and as I'm praying through these things, uh, Alexa's kind of right behind this little echo dot and she starts singing and this voice starts going, just talking to Jesus. 
just talking to Jesus. And I'm like, what? Like, what's happening right now? It felt very surreal. I'm not very like, oh, so there was, and then like a, a cloud came in and light shone through the window. Nothing like that happened, but it just for a second gave me pause and it reminded me how profound a thing is this, that I can just sit here and just be talking with Jesus. Not some character in some story that I heard once, not some movie I watched when I was in high school, not some person who's far away, but the the God who came as man and gave his life for me and now what a privilege it is to just talk with Jesus. And how rarely, how rarely I take the opportunity to communicate to somebody the story of Jesus Christ and what it means for them. And how much I desire us as a church to be seeking those who have never heard Jesus' name and tell them what a privilege it is to have this friend and to be able to talk with him and to know he loves you and to see how his story affects you that now you can be reconciled to God. That it doesn't just save you from hell, it saves you to relationship with your heavenly father. There's something incredible about the story of Jesus. It's not true about any other story. Jonah coming back from the fish does not save you. Daniel walking out of the lion's den does not give you victory over sin and death. David defeating Goliath does not give you victory over your world's problems. Every other person in history, including your parents, including your greatest teachers, mentors, and coaches, as great a man or woman they might be, their ability is still insufficient to save and procure salvation for you. Only Christ's story that you are a part of is going to do that. That's why I love Romans 5, verse 6. The language there over and over again, he says, we and us, while we were still sinners. That's our story. While we were still sinners, while Eastside was still a sinner, was still full of sinners, Christ died for who? For us, for those who know him and trust him. And for those who have heard the story but don't trust Christ, that's my mission. And for those who have never heard the story, that's my mission. That's why I'm still here that we might testify that it's not just an event that happened, but it's a life-changing truth. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you've been so good to us as a church to teach us and show us who your son Jesus Christ is. I pray, God, that the ramifications of that truth would never grow so familiar to seem powerless to us, but that we'd be daily and weekly reminded of the privilege and friendship that we have with your son Jesus Christ. I pray that we'd be a praying church, be men and women who dedicate our lives to relationship with you, that you'd set us free from all the lies and other things that entangle us like sin to distort and distract us from your will and from your kingdom. And I pray, God, for those who've never heard the story of your son, Jesus Christ, and for those who have heard but have not trusted, Lord, give us an effective ministry among them for the sake of your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.